All right. Kia ora, everybody. What's up? It is Rebet, Rebet Live, episode 260. We are smacking it out. Uh, very, I, I am today threatened about my guest. Um, I'm threatened because he's had a lot more time on the microphone. I'm threatened because he knows a lot more about this technical and digital landscape, but I'm going to take on the challenge. Ladies and gentlemen, founder of Dash Radio, weapon in the hip-hop game. Ladies and gentlemen, DJ Ski. Scott Keeney, how are you, mate? What's up, man? I'm into 260 shows. I'm I'm threatened by you. What are you talking about? Well, I'm just consistent with no game plan, but I'm consistent, and I am just to the. To, no, I counted it out the other day, and I and I then realized I actually I messaged a friend of mine who'd been in the TV game for 30 years. I said, "Hey, so I've been in this for a couple of years now, and I just really enjoy it. And I've worked out this 260. Maybe I should need some tips on how to um, do this. Maybe a little bit better. If <laughs> like no sponsorship game plan, but when you love something, you do it. And and I just think you know when you can get access to smart people you learn lots of stuff and i think when in the time that we're at what better what better place in time so it's um you know we're slowly getting there how are Absolutely. you my friend you're crushing it man i'm great man everything is, is is good all things being said it's 2020 we're still alive healthy out here pushing through it's obviously been a, a crazy and a, a and a different year than i think what we all expected but all we all we can do is push through i get it man um you know you've come a long way in the music game is talent and where i thought i'd maybe start this there's there's not many people that go um that can safely successfully transition from the talent as a person to to platform with scale right like there is only a few sports people that have been able to successfully do it there are not many people in the media landscape but then you've met, managed to go from um you know the journeys of the 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 MC DJ game all the way into now um dash uh, radio, which you know, I think is a 10, 10 million users. You probably up yeah, more, a bit, even, a, a, even more now. Yeah, we, we've what, what do you, the pandemic. So yeah, what are you, what are you at now? I think we're publicly. I don't know if we've announced it, but we're somewhere. We're we're a couple million even over that. So jeez, good on you, man. Um, and so maybe I was going to ask the the first the question was, how did you mentally shift from like when you're a talent or an artist, you are very um set with what your vision is, what you're about, everything, all that. How have you transitioned to then being talent as a person to then running a platform at scale? How have you managed to curate that that vision and drive to something way, 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 way bigger than yourself to something that you can't control? <laughs> That's a great question, right? And and for me, I was lucky where, you know, I was my foundation was as an artist. I started DJing when I was a teenager. I really made it in the industry side though and was, you know, on the business side first. I was always kind of entrepreneurial at heart in, in high school. I always say my friends all worked like regular jobs at like Best Buy or Target or places that were selling stuff. I'd sell them, you know, I got connected to the CEO of Loud Records, Steve Rifkin, by selling him a PlayStation. And I got that by paying my friends in high school 20 bucks to tell me when the shipments would come in and I'd sell them for double the money on eBay. So it kind of started like that. Um, but I was forced, you know, when I, when I got connected with Steve, I just stayed in touch with him and then ended up sending him a bunch of ideas and concepts on what ideas I had for his record label and what he was doing wrong with it. And he loved it so much, he, he offered me a job. So I was kind of thrown into it where I was always like a DJ first, but um, I had to make do on, on the business side and, and learned the whole music industry from him, learned the entire marketing industry from him, was running, you know, campaigns for, you know, devices like or products like Daimler Chrysler, things with Nike and all these guys when I was real young. Um, and then my DJ career 
while I was always DJing, it really took off a, a few years later. So I was able to bring in that experience that I had on, on the business side to the platform that I had on the artist side. So I went from like DJ to business to, to focusing on my DJ career and building that brand. And then I was able to, after like having enough success in that to turn on the business side, able to do that. And I think, you know, I credit that foundation for really enabling me to walk between worlds and speak mm. to companies in a format that makes sense and understand ROI. There's often, you know, I think one of my best skills is being able to translate between talent and artists and, and people that we have, as well as brands and figure out how to, how to make those two meet in the middle to understand what the brand wants, what the artist wants and how to create something that's beneficial for all. And, you know, oftentimes artists and, and brands will have like jaded perspectives, meaning artists will be like, yeah, I'll, I'll tweet it, post me, give me a million dollars. It's like, well, that doesn't really work out from an ROI perspective. And the same thing, brands will be like, oh yeah, just tell them do it. It's easy for them to tweet. It's like, yeah, but their platform is worth X, Y, and Z. And, and so I, I've been able to maneuver between that um, kind of by, by the fortune of the way that I got into the industry. It's interesting because what it sounded like too is, you know, I went through a similar thing within the snowboard world. I was, I was, I was a writer, then I understood the media game. It gave two distinct advantages. One was the fact of when you knew what the brand or the, customer or the the where the dollars came from if you understood roi you could then reverse engineer that back to the product which you're putting out oh if i add put the logo here that's going to get seen that's worth more to them oh if i do this but the second bit that i thought was interesting this guy is about being the trusted in the middle because there's not many in a world of hip-hop and culture or sport and music or, or things that are very passionate about if you don't have cred to understand the shoes that they've actually walked in they, you've kind of lost them at the first thing because you don't know their world, right? So it's like stuff you, you don't know what it's like to dot, dot, dot. So you've probably once again sat in this interesting spot where you can see both sides of the of the table and there's enough respect to at least listen, which opens up the door. So, you know, you had that idea for Dash, you, you transitioned out, you do it. The model, you know, I think in one of the earlier interviews I'd read, you know, you wanted to be uh, free and uncensored, uncensored. But the business model is extremely different because it's not subscription-based monthly. We're going to chuck some ads, but bits and pieces. How was the tension of pitching a product with a business model, which is almost the most envious thing where you're saying commercial free, but then to have it scale through and then almost be proven historically correct because you were maybe too soon for the business model to where the market actually went to. How did that, how was that process? Because yeah, now I mean, you must be feeling like, Told you so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, well, well in, in, in when we first launched, like we always, the, the challenge that so many people get ca caught up in as well, and, and a big thing that investors do, everybody rides trends and rides what's, what's latest, right? And it's tough to really have that, you know, when you have a vision and a foresight for the future, you, you need to stick to it, not just overreact and overadjust. Obviously, take into account everything that's happened and, and learn as much as you can and evolve as necessary, but it doesn't mean because everybody else is doing this that you, you need to suddenly jump in and, and do that. So we had a vision on what we thought the future of our product was. We, we looked at it from a consumer facing perspective first. There's a lot of companies that just look at what like the market wants first and then it's like, oh, everybody's buying into this. We can create a company around that. We looked at it like, hey, how are consumers going to consume audio? And we looked at audio, specifically radio, and realized that like, look, this product has been around for 100 years. There's something hmm very incredible about the power of, of live audio of communities as you're seeing, obviously, and as you know, as well as the opportunity for discover, we thought that the transactional side had already been figured out through the Spotify's the streaming services of the world. 
they they have have a pretty good lockdown on that and and on that subscription that on demand consumer side. So we didn't want to get in, into that game that we, but we felt when we looked at, at audio and radio that it was wide open that everybody all they were doing was taking analog signals and and bringing them digitally instead of um, creating something from ground up. And that's why when we we saw the opportunity for Dash, it was almost like a, a no-brainer long-term. Radio is this $40 billion industry that we thought would inevitably shift from analog to digital. And we thought that the ultimate leader from that wasn't going to be somebody that had, you know, analog radio, at least here in the States, has, you know, 20 minutes of commercials per hour. We don't think that's optimal in a digital environment. We don't think this generation of kids will 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 take that. We think that the mm. subscription model um, is would be difficult for radio, especially when you have Spotify and Apple and music and these guys at nine ninety nine a month for anything you want on demand. It would be tough to charge. And subscription is such a tough business. We we saw what was happening where people were getting subscription fatigue. And like, look, we didn't have billions of dollars behind us to go out and buy all the content in the world, so we didn't want to play in that game either. So we were like, look, let's build audience. And, and also when it came to commercials, we're like, we, we need to find and realize that we're building this for the long run. We're not going to monetize mm. this right away. We need to prove out the product. We, we don't need to waste our time trying to, to monetize it, especially because day one, we, you know, our audience is zero. So mm. what are we going to try, try to sell? So we wanted to really prove out the market case. And we figured once we had audience, like we would be able to figure that out. And we didn't think like ad insertion was a great, was the great model yep. either. We really wanted to focus on looking at what radio was, and that serves as this great centerpiece to connect with uh, artists, with fans in a live environment, to promote records, and to create these engaged communities. And we can monetize them because we're digital. We're not just limited to our audio product, meaning that while we are Dash Radio, we have you know an experiential space that, although 2020 is not a good example of it, but we can we can ticket and sell you know experiences to people to come watch shows, to to buy merchandise, and we think that there's much better upside in that than trying to go into that CPM game. And honestly, until like yeah. we are at the scale of when you, when you got, you understand it from an ad perspective, until you're at the scale of like you know having hundreds of millions of users. It's it's really tough to monetize because the ad buyers, you know, their job is to basically deliver the most amount of impressions that our clients for as cheap as possible, and we're not going to win that game that game either. At least not yet. Like we could we could look at that in the future and see if there is there's an opportunity. We look at it as our like get out of jail free card, but we like looked at the realities of the situation and figured that we could create something that we thought was much more progressive, which would grow our audience base and which would be much more beneficial. And we're not just because again, it's, it's a digital product. We're not just forced to having one product. We communicate and build this audience and connect and connect with them on multiple touch points. What I find is interesting. You've taken like a chess first checkers approach of the, the music's going from analog to digital, but the model isn't going to be sustainable shifting that same thing across yeah. the gap of where you've seen then exactly to your point, you know, you're not chasing the, that whole next wave is if, if you long game it out and you know, the experiences, that's the ideal thing. You'd rather position there, learn craft, organically grow, be the David um, and, and roll it out. But, but with that long-term perspective, the same way, you know, I remember seeing, um, that photo, you know, of Bezos in the room and it says like Amazon in 1999 or some shit. It was like, what's this guy up to? But they don't, he, he understood, which not many people do of the long game with chess with it. Because at the end of the day, it's about that consumer. Um, and then there's also an interesting other layer to it. And I've been thinking about this a little bit of why, why I feel it will win is this idea of 
when things morph and change, like so when, when Facebook came out, it was totally open to everyone, all good. Snapchat came out, it was totally closed off one to one. They both still won because they had different, I guess, different sort of game plans with it. The interesting thing about humanity and tech and with where we are in 2020 and all the rest of it is everyone's going so tech, so AI, so automated, so um, one, one way that it's actually enabled us to stop and be like, okay, well, I actually think old school is going to be the new school. I actually think that analog will be the new digital. I actually think that, you know, human curated touch of that. I don't need to go through song by song to pick is going to be, you know, and there's this weird thing, which I feel only a few people have seen, which is tech as we get, you can't beat the human as, as much as robotic as the AI comes to, you've got to do that. So, so I think the timing and intersection of it feels extremely smart, but obviously, See the strategy of around, you know, staying at David for the long game is going to be huge. Now in New Zealand, we only have, you know, 6 million, 5 million people, right? You know, Dash is double our country, but in the, the bigger scheme of things, it, it is, um, it, it's, it's a numbers game with different at 10 million, 12, 13 million uh, users. How has your headspace managed to maintain mentally thinking of David? Like how how have how is that um, culture driven into it? Because there's a very distinct thing when there's alignment with the north star of that vision in a business. And I'm just really intrigued to know how have you um, have you made David the culture in Dash? It's a, it's a great question, and and all all your points are spot on. Like you you understand this as good as anybody. That's why you you're you're the best at what you do. <laughs> um, for us, I mean we. You know, it would nice. Sometimes it'd be nice to be Goliath, but we, I mean, one, we we built this. We saw the operational costs of, and like, look, I was in here in the states, in the biggest radio station in the country, in the biggest radio network. I was on the biggest satellite provider in the world. Um, I was at Sirius XM for ten years, iHeart for seven, and we just got to see how expensive it was, right? Like buying hmm. Spectrum at the height of like the market in the mid two thousands. Like there was a station, one station, one signal, in, in Los Angeles, not even. California or Southern California, one market that sold for $400 million. So it just gives you like, that was the cost to reach one market with one station with one signal. And, and that's all obsolete. Um, we also got to see just the, the massive expenditures that they had by having to run this cluster model where there's, you know, you have to run huge operations and staff them in, in each local market. And we realized like, you don't really need that in, in a digital world. And in fact, we can also make more local content because we're not burdened by trying to cast the widest net to get mm. advertisers on that station. So we can let our talent really have that creative freedom to create the best product, which we think would, would win out in the long run. Cause, cause content always, I mean, content is king is the old mantra and, and that always wins out um, for us. We figured out how to do it so efficiently, even down to our, t our, our tech on the radio side to operate on as, as little machines as possible. And we were kind of forced to because we, we'd raised money. We did a seed round, but looking back at it, it was we were extremely ambitious. We launched with like 40, 50 stations, which is insane, right? With raising under $2 million, you know, like $1.8 you know, million or $1.5 million, whatever our first seed was to, to launch something that would have cost anybody else, no lie, probably 10x that, especially with the talent that we mm. had. And that was just playing into our relationships. And along the way, while we've raised around, you know, $14 million to date, which sounds great, it's still such a small thing. And compared to what our competitors spend on, on any given basis, like they've spent that on, on talent acquisitions for one podcast or one show alone. And we've been able yep. to build something really special in that. So we, we've kind of been forced to, but that's what our foundation is. And that's what's kept us nimble. And what I think is making us successful in a time right now, like when COVID hits, right? 
these other companies are burdened by such big overhead. And we'd started to scale up too and ha had to pull back a little with that, but it wasn't as challenging for us because we were more nimble than, than others. And it actually, you know what, one thing that we've learned through COVID is that sometimes you can get more stuff done with, with less people. And that's just kind of the nature that we operate. We all just find ways to, to make it happen. And we've, you know, by, by force have, have also, you know, because we just haven't had the, the same resources that our competitors have, but that's one reason that we've, we've stuck around so long and have been able to build this mm. and turn it into something successful. And we don't think you need all the money in the world to do that. And at the end of the day, we want to be a, a platform to empower great content and great storytellers, um, utilizing audio. Mm. The, uh, it brings me to, to the, the model, right? Um, sustainability of it is essentially, you know, it's a 50-50 split with, with uh, you and the talent for the channels, bits and pieces. So then it's relationship driven, not transaction, right? And then when you've got a Rolodex and you've got distribution, it's a, it's a weightless and scalable thing because as long as the talent backs up and does their piece, it, it kind of it, it eliminates all that over the, the, the headspace. So that's what I'm going to ask you next is, do you feel that um, the that model will stay sustainable for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years because it is driven on relationships to the people, not transactions of, you know, just regular business stuff. Cause that's the superpower too. You know, you've, you've, you've got the gap in the model and then you've got the relationships in the Rolodex with the cred. And then the model of it is a partnership with relationship, not a sign here for a three-year licensing deal transaction. Like talk me through that. Cause I, I I'm really intrigued. You, you, you nailed it again. But yeah, we, we believe it's it's absolutely scalable. Um, from my experience and working on both sides of the table, and as you know, there, there's generally two, to, like when, as an artist and even me as a DJ, there's two types of transactions that come in. There's the things that you do that build your brand and enhance that where you don't care about the money, right? Where it's like, hey, go do this. It's a good look. Um, and you're like, all right, like I'll, I'll do that because that's going to amplify my brand. And then there's the things that come in that are just the pure money plays where it's like, I really don't want to DJ this, you know, six sweet 16 whatever. party for whatever, girl, but they're going to pay you 50 grand. Like, okay, I, I'll, I'll do that and DJ for an hour. Right. So it's, it's always that balance in the entertainment world. And that's why you'll see like, you know, all these artists go do these private birthday parties. You're like, why is JLo at that party? It's like, well, they paid her $6 million versus, you know, she's going to go sell out Staples Center. She'll net 600,000 after that. So you're getting a lot more for easier work. So um, we've always, we realized we're obviously not on the, you know, the where every, most other media companies, especially new startups are on that other side where they have to pay talent. You know, I was able to leverage the, the in my whole team, we were able to leverage kind of the relationships that we built over the years and the trust. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to build a really cool product that artists wanted to be on. And of course, when we launched it, I pitched it and, and, and called in the favors to the network that we had. But an interesting thing happened where we started getting approached by outsiders um, that were even bigger than the, the talent that we had relationships on. And they wanted to join the platform because there wasn't really anything else that they could leverage music and audio in mm. and a free way to communicate with their platform. And they liked our perspective. They, they trusted our brand and, and the things that we had built. And we think that that's extremely scalable. We want to be in the cool, cool side of that. And we don't want to have to pay talent to to join us because we want them to to want to do it there and they're, we're not going to win that game too there'll be talent that'll mm. go to other platforms because they can pay them more money we're not going to win that so why even compete let's create a product that's like a look like instagram isn't paying people to be on instagram right like they're utilizing it because it's there and they, they could potentially make money but more people are doing it for the look than than the money that they're making even if they are making money so we want to play on that kind of side of the spectrum where we offer a real value to to artists and to um to uh i guess 
uh, I guess all talent in general. But uh, what it does, it does two things. It, it, it almost puts a filter on the artist to see the optics of uh, are they thinking chess or checkers are they playing transaction to i'm going to pop right now for to get a check and go do this thing or actually i can build a platform i build a network i build over well so but the fact that you know you said before scott that there's you know talent and stuff that have been coming to you that kind of perfect little segue into it feels that um you know with big record labels going to 360 deals and, and talent is trying to get their messaging out it feels like there's a growing tension that's been building for like a decade now between um the talent with labels and then the world of digital commercialization in terms of content partnerships the world of influencing dot 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 dot, dot. Yeah. how has um ironically enough the 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 control of these the music sits in these big corporations how has the relationship been navigating the waters of the big guys with their big models with the david with the that you actually and the talent actually wants to come to the david how is that how has that actually ended up playing out because if you look at the business ownership structures i'm sure of you know a lot of these other players there's very clear vested interest for certain um labels to put uh uh, artists on playlists that are popular and there's this whole shadow network of of commercialization for talent how is that balanced off between um you know corporations and the speed of of the platform that you've built for the the talent of where they're at and totally well when you look at radio and our core product um it, it, it's always been the number one source of promotion and for for music artists for for 100 years and say what you want to say about the radio it still is reaching more people than, than social networks and then than almost anything else and it's still this 40 billion dollar a year goliath that just works and that's because it's free number one like don't underestimate that the fact that it's free the majority of people still are not like paying people are cheap <laughs> and even if you are you can listen to that. And secondarily, it's it's built in, especially to like vehicles, right? Like that's where people listen to radio. They do it on their commute to and from school. You just hop in. You're, even if you're going down the street, you you turn on the radio. So it always works. So we, we had a, a clear benefit in terms of the product and what we were like a need that we were trying to solve. So we've always been very beneficial to the labels where they have all have radio promotions. People, um, they want to bring their artists down there. They want to put them on air. They want to get them heard and exposed because that's what leads to people streaming the albums on the streaming services, buying merch visiting them and, and seeing concerts etc so we always played like we wanted to make a product that really would benefit that because we had to take that in into consideration um the other thing too interestingly enough we looked at um you know there were some music labels we were talking to about even investment things and an interesting case study is what happened with spotify right where spotify gave up um a decent chunk of the company that ended up to net a lot of the labels millions but as soon as you know Apple got in the game and Apple started paying a little bit more, and and again remember Apple's intention, Apple's a little different because their business is not music. Like that's a small, like that's a loss leader for them. They want to sell iPhones, mm. they want to sell computers. So they were able to come in with more aggressive pricing versus a Spotify. Their entire business is audio. They're not able to do that. But the labels, like even though the labels had a significant ownership stake in Spotify and they didn't in Apple because Apple was paying them a little more and to the executives, they could fill their quarterly reports with higher earnings. They started shifting on Spotify you got when they owned them. And, and that was a real telling sign to me that like, wait, and it actually brought, and I had a really good friend who was working at a label at a time who was like, you don't want investment from, from them because it's going to make them like double down and try to see what they can get more from that. It's counterintuitive to what you think. Um, so we, we've tried to just stay kind of neutral in that space. And, you know, ultimately it's just proving our value and, and offering them mm. services. And, and even with like our new facility, we offer them a place to, 
you know, bring their artists for their album release parties, to drop merch, to create content, to do live streams. So we're able to knock off like 10 things in the media checkpoint that, that others can't do. So we've tried to just create a product that really works from it. But yeah, it was an interesting perspective I thought you'd enjoy in, in terms of, um, of working and, and what those other guys had to deal with, which was just crazy to me when you think about it. If you look at um, the corporate landscape of the decision makers with the title, uh, once again on the transactional checkers game of that quarterly report to hit the dot, dot, dot instead of the long game of equity and relationship and partnership. So in a weird way, you, I guess you are taking the um, the biggest on paper what would seem as strengths and actually realizing that they are weaknesses, which is we should maybe stay away from that could be potentially kryptonite to the business. It's it's Isn't that ironic that regardless how tech we get to, just human behavior of the simplistic nature of what's in it for them ends up just putting a magnifying glass on where the actual play is. You know, isn't that weird? It's crazy. And the la and the worst thing that could have happened in that time for the labels is for them to to cut off Spotify, right? And not have that and have say it was Apple and Google um or whoever it was take over because at the end of the day then they get marginalized. And if the, you're the biggest players, it's a monopoly and they're not gonna they don't they're not in it for like why, if you're Apple, why would you, I mean, right. Why would you care about music? Right? Like it's a, it's a marketing tool to, to sell phones and then they can marginalize and get rid of like, you know, the small mom and pop. So it's just a counterintuitive thing, even if it can bring in shorter term wins. So on that point, you know, there's a, you're playing chess, they're playing checkers. You've got passion there around profit. You also run a business that has obviously funding. That's got, it's got stuff that's getting paid. How do you navigate from a leadership perspective of the business, the passion of what you have for what you do versus the profit of what the business needs to actually achieve to be sustainable for the next 50 years. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough balance, right? And it's something that I have to learn and, and that we deal with every day, right? Like, ultimately, I'm, I'm lucky that I came in this from an artistic perspective. And mm. I've, I've been I've had enough experience in my life to realize that it's not just about money. Otherwise, we could try to, you know, bleed a rock dry. But we think that and we think longest term, the best value comes from products that are great for consumers. And in this era, because it is so cheap to launch a product like this, meaning we launched Dash, which in essence is like, the, you know, comparatively to Sirius XM here in the States, which cost billions and billions to launch. We launched Dash for one one hundredth of a penny of what, what they did. So it's going to be just as easy as whoever comes behind us to do the same thing. And we think long term yep. years from now, somebody, whoever is best for the consumer and creates the best product will win out. And we've had to stick by that philosophy in our pitches. And it means certain investors haven't understood the model. They don't understand where we're going and it just wasn't for it wasn't for them. We were lucky to be, you know, get a great board and get a great team and a great group of investors that really believed in us and believed in this kind of crazy vision. And and so far we're, we've been able to pan it out for them. Um, but, but that's something that we, you know, we always people are always questioning what it is, what the monetization is, especially because we have a non-traditional technique. But we hmm. think that we have to do that to survive for the long run versus just doing something for the short term, which could you know generate more profits but wouldn't you know it, it's not really what we want to want to be and what our vision of the company is well it doesn't have legacy but i think you brought up a good point that's got around the the thing with when everything gets you know um democratized through tech if everyone's got the same i have these three t's i'll talk about like time tech and talent everyone at the same time everyone now has the same access to the same tech so it's like cool yeah. well the variable is the talent okay so if talent becomes about relationships maybe the ninja move is actually the rolodex of relationships with depth and long game instead of once again the short but the other thing i thought was just interesting on that too is you know when you talk about the model of it essentially dash's model is almost like the app store 
you know, they've got the platform, the talent comes in, builds it in, they take a, they take a percentage split, obviously they take 70, 30 or whatever, but they don't have the risk of that. They then get housed in the platform, they then go to market, they, the talent then advertises their apps elsewhere. And if you think about what that is, they just cre- created a, a hub and a home for the talent to have an outlet. You know, you're almost essentially doing the same thing. But what I also thought was interesting, comparing it against, um, say, Sirius, the way that they made their, their big investments to roll out, just because it's digital and easy, you know, you said, I think you launched with 47 channels or something, doesn't mean it's the necessarily the right or smart thing to do. And I'm sure that the, your, your inbox will probably attest to that, navigating yeah. those as, as one person, which brings me down to the point of focus, because then you've obviously crafted down. If you look through, you've got the um, hip hop talk, you got this. Actually, also my, my daughter loves the uh, the family Disney pop thing, which yeah. is which is a great one. So yeah, a three-year-old, she's into that. Um, I love it. But, but brings it, so it's, on, it's on my favorites, um, which brings it into focus. So from a founder's perspective, when you're passionate about it, focus is tricky. How have you, what was your, um, what was your headspace to, to go from just because we can do it, we shouldn't necessarily do it to now, hey, I'm trying to create a global brand and business here. And how do you roll that out? How did pro- you prioritize your focus now as a founder of this, this growing behemoth? Totally. There's, there's so many variables that come into it and you have to figure what you want to do, what's going to get you there and what's beneficial. What would have made the most sense and what most people would have done um, would have been to focus on and to launch with like one genre, one station, one niche or, or go after that. We didn't do that because while we realized certain genres and sectors would be stronger than the others for us to get the distribution that we wanted, which we realized you know, was one of the two North stars of this business or two North stars are content and distribution. But in order for us to get on to the same places that are like vehicles that are playing Sirius XM and competing with them, if, if we were just targeting one niche or genre, we weren't big enough to get that, get that attention because they only have room for X amount of, of audio platforms and they need something that's going to cast the widest net because some of their audience is going to want country. Some is going to want kids pop. Some is going to want classical. Some is going to want hip hop. Some is going to want rock. So we had to cover all of those sectors, even if we didn't honestly, and some of them we didn't like, we did a, a more generic job and, and we did more thorough ones and others. We walked in knowing that realizing that we were going to have to take that sacrifice and that those probably wouldn't be our most listened to channels today, but that we could always scale those up, but it was important to have so we could get the distribution, which would give us the opportunity to create more content. So we Mm. realized that that was kind of, we, we made that decision and had to kind of stick to it. So we really, and and a great question, just on focus, there's a lot that we do and a lot that we want to do. And and that is a huge challenge, especially for me, but it's, it's something that, you know, when you find your passions that, you know, I believe that if they all align and if you have this ultimate vision on how they work together, as long as they're all in line, it's it's fine. Meaning that this mm-hmm. does this and they might not seem related, but they, they, they all go together. It's not like we're manufacturing bicycles and then creating a headphone over here and doing things that aren't related and have no correlation. Everything that we do strategically goes together and fits towards that longer plan. But really, you know, our first two things were like, all right, will this help us create content? Will this give us distribution? If it fell in line with that, that that's what our, our North Stars were and what we had to make those decisions on. And that's why we had to launch with, with a bigger thing and make it feel like mm-hmm. it was bigger than it was because it's the chicken and egg scenario. You can't get the distribution until you have those things and you can't get the content until you have the, the distribution. So we made a, a choice to, to launch with a significant amount of content, 
focus on a few high level like talent and brand names to to launch and roll with, but still have everything else covered. And we had a great team that was able to, to pull off a phenomenal job to that. And we've since filled that out. And that enabled us to create all these different fast distribution channels for us on the Dash side. How, how does your board rein you in? Because you're probably similar to me. You know, you're pat, you get passionate about, the, yo, you don't even know, this is going to be the shit moment. Like I, I, I've been there, I, I've, I've listened to myself. I, I get it when I'm hyped on something. How does your board navigate you as a leader when you, you're so in it too, that, to, to, to make you to, to zoom out a bit? Yeah, I think it's great because they offer that different perspective where they're not in it on a daily basis and they get to see from a, you know, a 10,000 foot view. And, you know, we're lucky where they have some of the best experience in this space. One of our guys used to run the, you know, is chairman of the biggest media company and conglomerate in the, in the world. So he has experience that's, that's second to none in that. And um, by, by being able to learn, learn and hear from that, we're able to to bring in and, and they've always been like, look, they've been great at like, look, you're going to make the decisions at the end of the day. This is your ship and you're the one that, that, that runs it. We're, we're here to give you feedback and to, to give you insight, but ultimately like you, you'll know best. So they've done a, a great job of allowing us that freedom while also mm. teaching us from experience and sharing what's worked and what hasn't and being able to reel those things in and, and keep us focused on what the vision is because, you know, we do have that balance, especially as we grow where we do have to, do, you know, unfortunately, we can't just be creative and build the coolest thing in the world. We do have to monetize it. Um, we do have to build those things out. So they've been able to help us make that transition without, they also understand like, we can't just bleed a rock dry. We're not just going to turn on this and, you know, do the, mm. you know, we're coming in and just monetizing every penny and sacrificing the product and, and, and kind of, you know, rating, rating it, doing the corporate rating thing. So, so we've been able to have a great team that's, that's, that's really been helpful for us. Well, also as well, if you take that app store mentality after someone comes in on one, um, on one channel, a little solo, it just filters and bleeds through the rest of it. Next thing you know, you know, I'm sure you can track from the data of the various different um, favorites channels, which ends up going depending on what other human is interacting with that human. And so you've got, you know, your kids thing here, I'm on, I'm driving, I've got my workout stuff, I've got my dance players, I've got my hip hop, whatever else, else too. So you get the benefit of that too, because you've almost got, you know, a whole bunch of different breadcrumbs, which start with credible breadcrumb in this space, which then organically morphs across. Cross, right yeah exactly you nailed it dude mm. so that's that's, that's what that's what it's i mean yeah that's, that's ex precisely what it is i get i i, I get really it's interesting because i love content i love creative i love commerce and then when i when i look at things especially with this is it, it's a moment too because you know big dogs in the industry see some young buck coming up being in the game for a minute and it's like yo i'm gonna back this kid i'm gonna back the jockey back the jockey back the jockey and i've and i've had friends who are investors and they see the same thing they're like look like I, I will happily lose time and time again if I know if I trust the jockey. And then when you've got that credibility and the legacy, you understand what that actually means in the space to have long. Um, I was gonna uh, talking about formatting you just just quickly before you talk about the, the Spotify thing. Obviously, recently there's been the whole probably the big one in the podcast world is Spotify does music. Now they've got Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan comes across. Yep. Um, obviously in the day they, their, their stock price went up like five bills. So I think the hundred million instantly just like, just wiped that out for the day. So let's just maybe park that conversation. Um, but, but what I thought was interesting about it was the, um, there was clearly a, a decision made at the top to go after different formats of a format. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Music is one way to listen to a three minute track. And also there is a three hour thing around a, 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 a taking up time and all the rest of it. So there's one on format and the second one is on um, censorship. You know, you said you want free and uncensored. And if, if you look at some of the little reports, not that they've addressed it publicly, but there is a clearly a, 
and now it's not a freedom of speech issue. It's it feels like there is definitely like corporate interest, which what you can and can't say within a business, to what the platform is there for in terms of things. Um, so, maybe in a, in a nutshell, strategically, when you looked at the Spotify deal, what did you see that the sound bites of public didn't see? Yeah, um, you, you nailed it. And it was obviously worth it. Just And that's one of those stupid things from an optics perspective, right? Where people jump on and like, oh, they're doing this. And, you know, like spending 100 million sounds crazy until you realize that it jumped your stock 1%, 2%, which which more than wipes that that out. So I think it was beneficial for them. They've obviously like, look, it's it's very, they're very candid in, in the issues and dealing with music licensing and royalties. And they need to figure out that the company still, you know, needs to figure out a way to generate higher margins to, to truly be successful long-term. And they want to be the audio of everything. Um, and that's why, you know, it was a great acquisition for them from that perspective of starting to create in-house IP and content and moving towards that studio model. I mean, we're big fans, obviously, of creating original content. If you're just the pipes that connect, you know, if they, I mean, at the end of the day, all the streaming services, whether it's Deezer, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, you go and so on and so forth, they pretty much have access to the same catalogs and libraries. So the interface is the only thing that differentiates them. So you're just a utility there and they want to be more than that. So, so it's smart for them to to jump into that. And that's why we feel that our opportunity is like not the music that we play, it's the personalities, it's the content, it's the IP, it's the experiences, it's everything that we create around that. So um, I thought it was great for, for them to do, great for the industry to be spending more money on these content studios and they have the power to really, you know, hopefully make, you know, some of these shows as being the, you know, the 400 pound gorilla in the room, um, give them even bigger audience, bigger, give them the opportunity to create better content, especially mm. at a time when like media companies in general and content is struggling. So I think it's great the more money being thrown in the space, it's better for everybody. Um, but you bring up a great point in terms of what that means for accounting in terms of voices, right? Like there's some question, there were some episodes that they took down specifically Joe Rogan's that they didn't fit with their brand lines. And that's where you get into a tricky space. And they dealt with the same thing mm -hmm. around R. Kelly when they removed his music. And then it caused a backlash because they were here they are taking down, at this point, an African-American who was not convicted, despite what all the evidence says, right? What we all know and see, still not convicted. And the time you're leaving up other artists that have been convicted of that, notable white artists over history that have just as questionable as reputations, how do you walk that fine line? And it pissed a lot of people off. And one of the challenges I think with them is, you know, that's one of the challenges with them. I've always looked at Spotify as a great tech company, right? Like mm. Daniel built something incredible there, yet they've never really had a curation voice. If you look at all the IP that they've tried to create historically, that's not what they do well. They tried to get into video. They tried to get into podcasts before they started acquiring things and it never really worked. So their strategy is like, we're not going to try to create this. We're going to try to acquire others doing it, which is right because they, they that's not their strong suit, right? Like their strong yep. suit is tech building audience. Like they, they changed the music industry. So do not discount them for that. But that that's what they do. They're not content creators. They're not IP creators historically. Um, so when they started bringing in these people to the fold, they hadn't had to really deal with a lot of those questions before and and mm. add that to the layer of the fact that at the same time they're bringing these people on there's an entire social justice movement that's happening and companies are being forced for the first time to make statements like not it wasn't okay to, to be silent you had to make statements like you had to come out and say and, and do these things and and i think it's great like this next generation behind us wants you know everything to there, there needs to be a greater cause. It's not just about money. 
which is tra- mm. going to hopefully, I think, transform the world in, in a big way. They want to buy products that support the environment, support the earth. They want to do things that are sustainable. They're actually, because they're actually the first generation really growing up and seeing the effects of things like global warming and that, they realize that this world is messed up and they don't want their generation to do that versus a lot of us and older generations and generations beyond don't really care because they're not going to be here by the time it hits them, you know, which is, uh, so, so it's great and compelling to see them like make companies make change. Now, difficulty with Spotify is like, all right. And, and even for us, and we've had these debates internally, when we looked at launching certain channels, we always said like, look, we want to be a platform for great voice. Our initial thought was we want to be a platform for voices with the audience and, and serve them as that tool. And we started early on, like very small issues, nothing that became public or that, but we had internal debates about what stations and what type of people we were putting on there. Should we put this person on or this show on that will without doubt generate audience, but that is that right for what we want to be? And we, we decided ultimately not to because in this day mm. and age, we have the ability to like, look, we're, we're a private company. Um, we need to, we want to like, look, we're, we're not going to err on just our political beliefs, but we're going to err on like facts and science. And that's something that seems to be so gone for that. We want to err on the side of right. I remember I tweeted something. One of one of the, my mentors and somebody that gave me my start on TV is Mark Cuban, Shark Tank, big NBA owner. Yeah. Etc. And I remember he tweeted something out about equality, and I, and and I, I responded to his tweet with, and he'd limited the tweets, and I responded because we follow each other with something about like in the end, like I said, in the end, equality always wins, which is not a political statement at all. You should have seen the comments that I got back from all these people, like oh this and that, and I was like guys, you guys are arguing over equality, like we can't argue over that. If you want to argue over taxes and things, that's fine. And, and I intentionally said it, that's not political, right? Like that's not my, I didn't feel like that was my space to, to get political despite whatever my beliefs were. But equality and things like that are things that we, like the fact that we're even having that debate is insane. So we make, that's kind of what our our balance is. Like we want to be on the right side of history for that. Mm. We don't, and it's just very obvious things. We want people that support equality. If you don't support equality, if you support like white supremacy or anything, we're not going to have you on the platform. And that's like our decision. If you want to, you know, if you, if you can't, if you, you know, find somewhere else and you can get, take your audience. But, you know, this year has made it clearer than ever for us the importance of, of having that voice and using it to, to do good. We launched a charity stream after all the social justice mm. stuff happened, especially because it started in my hometown and here in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, it's where George Floyd was was murdered and it's where I grew up and where I have all my deepest ties and, and all my sports memorabilia behind me is, is from. Um, and we went out and launched a whole initiative called DJs for Justice where all the pro sports teams opened up their venues. We raised money for minority owned businesses that had been affected by, by the looting and riots and helped rebuild those communities there. Um, and, and it was phenomenal. And for us, it's, it's important to take our time and use that voice to, to make the world a better place. And not necessarily on political issues. We're not going to jump into you know, the, the, the certain elements and there will be a day mm. where we have the democratic station and the, the Republican station here, then the right and left wing things for that. Um, and we're fine with them as long as they're not spreading misinformation, as long as they're, they're, they're not doing anything that's, that's, you know, not spreading kind of what this new age and it's tough to define. And this is this balance and it's, it's gotta be tough for Spotify, but like, Joe Rogan had a guy on that's a white sprint. Like, no, we're not going to support those things and we're not going to allow those things. Obviously, it's just like that obvious kind of barometer that, you know, we're going to have to, and 
you know, we hope we might not always make the right choices, but we're going to, we're going to aim to, to respect what we think is very, at least obvious in, in those senses. It's such a loaded thing, but you brought up a really interesting point, which was if a platform doesn't take a stand of what it's about for people to either fit in or fit out, then potential things which weren't supposed to be will infiltrate and then there's a problem because they didn't actually set the framework of the box up of what they wanted it to be. And so I think your, your point is actually interesting is, you know, you need to put the stake in the ground with what, what you represent, what you're about, what we stand for as our platform. If you, and I think that's actually a really, really interesting thing probably to your point before, because Spotify hasn't done that as a thing yet. But then the second part I thought was interesting with that is there's this, this tension of the value of the talent versus the values of them as an individual, of the, the values of a talent, like value versus values, right? And, and that's something that the same way you talk passion and profit, maybe that's the new one because if you look at social justice and these different these different platforms, it is that. It's like the, the value of the business for the values of what the business stands for. And I think a lot of the time it's very clear that those that are either getting caught up with it or, you know, the internal woke employees that are going ape shit or whatever it is, it's very clear that those either values haven't been known or been locked down or actually had a solid stake in the ground with it. So there's there's something in that, you know, and, and maybe that even goes to the, the thing of culture within an organization from a leadership perspective. If we're having these issues because something potentially is internally that shouldn't have been, is that our fault because we didn't actually put the stake in the ground with what we represent, what we were about, what we believe in? Tough, it's interesting. Tough. So it's actually leadership's fault. You, you nailed it, right? And like for us, we look at our background and like, look, my foundation is hip hop, right? Like it's a black form of music and, and that's what made me and it made me as a white male here. You know, that's the reason that I'm even sitting here talking to you is from my production and from my work in, in that world. So it's only right. And I mean, it's amazing that we're even having a conversation like this in 2020. Like it's truly mind blowing to me that we have to talk about equality still. And the fact that this isn't so obvious, but even me coming from a position like and look and really analyzing what happened to George Floyd, what happened to Breonna Taylor, what happened to Philando Castile, who went to high school with me and we were high school friends and shared classes and those things. He was murdered in, in Minneapolis two years before, um, he was on Facebook Live before uh, George Floyd. Like the fact that these things are still happening, like I had to take a step back and I was like, wow, like this is like, it's almost like mind blogging. I was almost taking it for granted. I was like, this can't be real just because it didn't seem that it was. But when we realized it was like, we, it was up to us to make a stand there. But taking it even a step further, like, right, we look at ourselves as one thing that across media that that's not as politicized as that is just content in general. We've seen what like Buzzfeed made a, a an industry for a while on clickbait, like top twenty things to say to your boyfriend and girlfriend, and, and articles like that. And it devalued and and hurt all of these. You know, there's a writer that's just you know a, a kid that can come up with no background, but that can create a clickbait story is going to get is you know as much monetization as somebody that a journalist that spent weeks in the lines trying to dig sources on a story that's doing that it's just not a fair playing field and that's what's hurt so many of those things we look at content the same way right and we recently had mm. a decision um that, that to, to make in terms of a new show that approached us that was on another platform and they had they decided to leave it wasn't working out for them it wasn't really in line with our brand in terms of being premium content. Values, but it yeah. would have generated a ton, probably more views than anything else that we have from the controversy that it would have sparked from stupid, you know, um, yeah. low hanging fruit clickbait. 
And we debated and at first we were going to put it on, but then we, we started talking in our content team and we made the decision. We're like, look, this really isn't because we, we, we started talking, well, maybe we can do it, but not really put like our name and brand behind it. Transactions. Like, yeah. If we're having that conversation, like at that point, it, it kicked me. And all of a sudden I was like, look, why are we even talking about this? It's not right for us. It's going to be successful and get views, but that's not what we want to be. And, and that doesn't help us long-term. We want to be this HBO, this premium hub of, of quality content. And we need to stick to those guidelines and everything that we do. And that's why we we can't give into like the clickbait and the, those quick money opportunities. Cause we think, well, it could be short-term gains. It's not good for the community. It's not good for the industry. And it's not going to be good for us long-term because we don't want to be known as that. Cause while we might get a tremendous amount of views there, we might lose another bit of great high profile quality content. If they look at our platform and they're like, wait, that's home for where that is. No, I don't, I don't want to be there. And somebody else can, can swoop in for us. So um, we're, it's something that we're constantly kind of debating on, on that, beyond the political that, side too. It's so interesting, Scott, because it's the thing of, you know, when clickbaits kills quality, but then you potentially, if you pull them on, you're making the same decision that those execs from the, the record labels are switching things around to make hit their, their quarterly earnings. They're not playing the long game with it. But yeah. it's that thing. About, I remember when I was 11, my mum told me, you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And yes, you'll take a lot of short term losses, but long game you'll be historically correct and you can win the right way but the pressure in a startup when you need cash flow and revenue and there's an opportunity to make the revenue for cash flow geez it's i've tried to explain to, to people that have either haven't done startups or entrepreneurship or any of that stuff it is so tempting to take the bad apple when you are desperate to eat <laughs> and like, look, at the end of the day and we've been in situations right like where you have to to pay your bills like we don't have a small you know nut I've, I've gone all in on this and it's like all right we either do this or are we gonna you know are we gonna be able to make payroll and things like that so so it's it's and you have to find that balance but i think at the end of the day too um you you have to focus on long term and that's that's what i've done my my whole career and maybe i've you know maybe i've done it the wrong way but um for me it's gotten me to where i am and even when i was like djing right like it wasn't about doing the most gigs and taking that i'd rather focus on really cool things even if they didn't pay much um and then get paid by doing some of those other things because i figured it would build my brand and that's how i was able to get a tv show make the connections that i have ultimately launch dash but i've always been one for for playing the long game which is is, yeah. is not always the easiest the um the bit you talked about before um just with you know the protests and the riots and bits and pieces i remember when we went to lockdown and um i was watching on world star and I, i'm always just interested to see the tone of content which which gets created especially when like uh as a i guess a creator and i understand the game a little bit i was really intrigued of will the creative game get stepped up um one if they don't have as much access to other things and the reality is it didn't from what i saw um but then the second thing was as soon as people started creating again it was 90 percent of the same type of shit here's here's guns here's girls here's lane his story like don't get me wrong like cool but in 2020 when there's literally this scenario going on i was really disappointed that the majority of creators from the hip-hop landscape and artists in general maybe but you know i guess personal to you hip-hop kid um and then i saw the little baby thing pop out and i was like huh well done, mate. Regardless, whatever, and I put a post up. I said, regardless what side of the fence you sit on, at least he was like, hey, things are happening. I'm going to talk about my community. And they just felt there was such a disconnect of fakeism between so many of the artists when it's like, hey, you talk about from the streets and for the people. Well, this is happening to the people. You're not talking about any of this. And then little babies come in. And if you look, I think on YouTube, was that like 82 million or something come through and it popped. And I, I felt it made me think two things. One was, um, 
if the world turns to shit and only a couple of people are actually talking about what's happening, how much other bad bullshit are people getting fed when their life's normal? Because clearly there is a massive insane disconnect between what's truly important to the people and what these people are talking about what's important. Did you notice that? Was that a, It was just an observation I saw, but I was extremely disappointed. <laughs> I, 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 look, I don't disagree with you there. And, and like what Lil Baby did, that's not something a lot of people would have expected from him, especially like he's a kid that wasn't rapping a few years ago that just started rapping that, you know, P and, and coach K discovered and put on. And he is like from the street. So for him to do that, it's probably wasn't the first artist that a lot of people expected. And it was a mm. great record too. And it was so awesome for somebody that's like at the top of his game, at the top of the hip hop game to come out and do that. And, and I totally agree. And like, that's why, our, and that's one challenge too, that I think that, you know, algorithms and a lot of things have, have done to music is that everybody's forced to, and that's why so many songs sound the same because algorithms are finding things that sound similar. Like that's the way that they work, right? Like this is comparable to this. So it's going to generate this, this much of audience and people aren't able to take risks and even labels. They're, they're not taking risks and developing artists. They're just looking for what's already there and adding their stamp to it and putting some more money behind it. So it's a, it's a real challenge facing, I think music in general. And that's why I think at platforms like Dash and stuff where we can actually break and play music and do this where it's not algorithmically driven. We look mm. at data to make our decisions, but at the end of the day too, if we think that there's a great record, we're going to, we're going to play it, even if it doesn't sound like anything else out there. And that's, what's really missing from the community right now in, in music. Mm. The, um, you're obviously a busy man. You've got a, a lot of stuff on. How do you, um, What's your headspace when you prioritize your time with your priorities in terms of your friends, your families, wifey, you know, business, employees, global scale, everything? How do you, what's your formula? You color code your calendar. What do you do? <laughs> it's a constant challenge. And to, to tell you one thing, you know, I, I, it changes frequently. I'm always trying to adapt and learn and take from it. And it's not something that's easy. I mean, one thing that, that I found key um, that I've discovered really like a, a few years ago and have stuck to it. I didn't know this when I was in, you know, first getting started is like the importance of taking care of yourself. Um, obviously like mentally, which I still need to do, I think do, do a little more on, but like physically, like eating the right food, um, getting enough sleep, um, taking care of yourself like that. So for me, I'm, uh, you know, I, I make sure that I get enough sleep. If I don't get enough sleep, I'm not going to function and I'm not going to be as successful. I'd rather work you know, t eight hours with full night's sleep, then work 15 hours, 16 hours with four hours sleep. I'll be twice, I'll be 10 times more productive in that eight hours than I will yeah. before that. It's, it's, it's not, you know, quantity. It's, it's really quality. And in, in terms of that, same with eating, right? Like eating and exercising, like for me, exercising, if I don't exercise, I get like grumpy and start getting like depressed. So I found that those things are key to my mental health that I need to do that. I have to set aside the time every day. And I try to generally like exercise in the morning. And if I can't, like, I'll make sure that I set aside it. All right, I'm going to do it in between this window or I'm going to do it at night and, and really kind of carve out those times. So First up, it's so important to to find those um, those things that that make that, that kind of push you and take care of your yourself physically, and also too, you have mm -hmm. to really like take get in this headspace where when you're doing work, it's great, but also be able to turn that off. Otherwise, like you know, you wake up in the middle of the night thinking of that, and like I have to stop working after a certain time at night generally because otherwise my brain gets running and I won't be able to fall asleep, and then it just messes up everything else. So you have to create that clear delineation especially when you're going through stressful things on the business side you have to be able to just like yeah. separate that and turn that off and realize that like look whatever you're dealing with no matter how serious is it going to matter are you going to be thinking in that 20 years from now probably not yeah. are you going to be thinking in that 100 years ago nobody's going to even know so like 
it's while it's serious now and you need to address those things, there's a time and a place for it. And you can't let it consume your life, especially there's nothing mm. you're going to be able to do with it midnight at, at night. So I think it's super important to take care of yourself. And then for priorities, it's, yeah, it's figuring out what your North stars are and making sure that everything tries to fit within that box, leaving time for creativity too. One of the things that, mm. and one of the things I'm trying to strive right now is that I need to set aside more time to, um, brainstorm and to build and like write out some of these ideas that I have. Cause it's so easy to get on just like zooms all day and just go back to back to back. And all of a sudden you wake up and you've had a hundred meetings, but you really haven't gotten much done. So it's, it's a constant challenge and struggle, but I think it's just being aware of that and, and doing the best that you can and evolving and finding a schedule that works for, for you individually. It's going to be different for each person. Do you um, take your phone into the room with you when you go to bed? I do, but I started and I haven't been doing a good job of it. I try to not use it once I get in in bed. And if I wake up in the middle of the night, try to not turn it, not reach for it, which is always a crutch. So I try to stop looking at it after, uh, once I get in bed, I just use it because my charger is there. So I, um, just for a couple months, probably maybe month three now, I started um, sleeping with the phone outside of the bedroom. So when I go into the bedroom, it's there. But what I do, but my, because what I would do is, my similar to yourself, there's probably two things. One is when you're entrepreneurial, your brain doesn't stop. And it's not like you have a nine to five, you check out, you don't give a shit, you just sleep and you're on to the next. Like you, you because you care, you think about it. And I would always wake up in the middle of the night and I'd open it up and it gets all bright. I'm trying to put a thing in notes and all the rest of it. And I found this $20 small MP3 audio recorder on Amazon and it awesome. sits and I can just do it blind. And so I, I was roll over and I just flick it on like, whatever, turn it off and I just pass back out. And I wake up and I have like three or four of them and I didn't even remember that I did them because, you know, you're like half asleep and shit and you're like, oh, that's right, boom. And then you and you, you get these sort of great things. So that's one of the things I've actually been able to process it out of me, but at least it's got a system to do it. And so many people don't um, have that and then they forget the golden moment or, or whatever super, else as well. It's super smart. No, I do. That's when I have my best ideas and I wake up like, wait, I had a yep. idea. What I know. Was? Yeah, it's quite trippy though. You wake up and you go like, what the fuck was that? And sometimes you just like sleep talking into it. Um, so when you talk about um, for Dash, like where strategically, how do you think this gets from 10 or 20, whatever, to 200 million people? Do you see yeah, this um, as a, what strategically are there ninja moves which you're going to try and execute in different formats, different distribution networks? Like how, how do you see this playing out? Sure. I think for, for us, it's continuing to focus on our, our North Stars. It's content distribution. That's that's key to radio. Cre if we create the best content and we get the distribution where people can can consume it in their own habitat, that's what's gonna what's gonna get us there. And it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint for us on this mm. side. We look at ourselves like as it is really as if you see the positioning of Dash as a next generation content company, whereas like radio is our, our centerpiece and our first product. That's ultimately not all we are. We've, you know, on our roadmap, we looked at like 2022 as originally like really jumping heavy into live streaming and video content. Mm. And with the pandemic, I was going to ask that. Yeah. And, and added that into this year. And we've since then done over 400 live streams on Twitch and we didn't have a Twitch page in February. Um, so this is all since then. Um, we've really dug in on, you know, I've been incubating like these virtual DJ sets where I use um, VR and an Oculus and a, a technology called Tribe to, yeah. Um, to do these DJ sets where I'm basically represented as an avatar. There's no physical equipment in front of me. I have like controllers where I'm controlling it in the virtual world. But the great thing about it, instead of just like watching me on a here like turntable and, and that, which can kind of be boring, it's an avatar of me, but the consumers in the chat are able to change the background by sending a GIF. They're able to request a song by sending a YouTube link. So it's the most interactive DJ set. And it's a next generation experience. It's not just, again, taking an analog experience and putting a camera on it, which I think a lot of people have tried to do. Um, and I think, that, you know, we're really focused on creating what 
next generation experiences look like? And we want Dash to be this one-stop hub for talent where they can mm. come to us and get their message out through radio. You're going to see us, you know, starting to do things in podcasting, through video, um, through in-person experiences, through digital experiences. Mm. We want to, you know, cement ourselves as kind of the voice for music culture on on any channel and, and platform. And we started with radio, and that's been that's what gives us this incredible access to artists. But we're now spreading into all these other other places. So I think you're going to see us and pop up in a lot of that. And that's what we're really most intrigued on right now because everybody's trying to figure that out. And I think we have a really unique position to to do that as storytellers, as producers, as opposed to, you know, you said something earlier that I wanted to touch on where you were like. Um, the tech is out there, right? And, and and anybody can kind of go do these things. The tech stacks are there. I've always been of the mindset that like, look, the last decade, two decades were were owned by Silicon Valley, where the Facebooks, all these platforms were created. But the likelihood of people coming and unseating a Facebook, a YouTube is, is slim right now, right? Like they're, they're there, the tech is there, nobody's going to beat them. But now it's the content gold rush. And there was always a big disconnect between Silicon Valley and Hollywood, where they were both arrogant yeah. in their own senses, where Silicon Valley is like, oh, the content doesn't matter, we can put anything in. And they tried to do their own content. YouTube notably started it years ago and it all failed, right? They, everybody tried to do it. Spotify, we talked about earlier, tried to do it and it failed. Then content companies on the same time had the same arrogance. We're like, oh, well, we're, we can build our own platforms and do this. And they tried and, and, and those things failed. Even recently, if you look at like Quibi and some of these things, like hasn't really yeah. worked out. So we think that the first presence was, you know, building those platforms and that's been done. And now the thing is, is populating it. And that's what's so exciting. And that's the, we want to mm. obviously play between and build really great tech and do cool things, but we're going to leverage the tech that's out there and, be, and, and create content in a meaningful way that's distributed and distribute it in different ways. It's not just taking the same bit and posting it, cross-posting it everywhere else. It's creating unique bits that are, that, that play well for whichever each uh, specific platform it is. Yeah, I, I didn't know that was where the robot was happening, but I was really intrigued because the way I thought of it in my head was if you've got the brand of what it stands for and you're going to evolve experiences, radio is one part. And then obviously you had the partnership with, I think it was the, the Dream Hotel and um, yeah in LA and then you've got the physical infrastructure. So it's cool. Exactly what you talked about. We've got the pop-ups, live interviews there. And then I was like, okay, well, how does it expand out? Then you've got live stream, you've got the multi, you know, like, you know, a few things we talked about, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then my head was just going to, okay, well, if you've got power of brand and if you've got access to artists and then they've got obviously the online activation, which builds a, a portal and pipeline of business, when that transition offline, when will there be dash fest as the new Coachella? When will there be, you know, like how do these, how, do, how does that, that that brand breathe externally? If you look at the way X Games did around, they got the talent in under the brand and the brand goes global, the content goes, to, you know, like that whole thing. So it's, it's really um, exciting to see the evolution of um, the analog to digital opportunities of formatting, but going from essentially evolving experience across the entertainment. Totally. No, that, and that's exactly what we're trying to figure out. Like mm. there's some really exciting things and we're working across all these new platforms. That's what we're so excited about is the gaming world and um, yeah. new apps and platforms and metaverses that people are trying to do. And we really want to be able to be at the center of that and, and populate that. And that's one of those are the things that we're working on hard behind the scenes while we, where our core audio product is, is, you know, kind of on, on track to keep growing and, and keep pushing on its own. Well, also you've got the, um the, was it the cards and coffee thing? You just popped up as well. I saw you yeah, say, so, just give me a quick context on that. You're obviously a collector. You love it. You and a few mates have like just done another thing. <laughs> so, yeah, we, I, I, you know, before I, I got into DJing, I thought I was going to be a pro athlete. So I'm bringing my dreams back. But no, <laughs> I've been I've been doing work for years in, in sports, so it, and it's always been about like connecting like sports lifestyle, like athletes and artists. When Kevin Durant's in town, you know, we'd put him in the studio with Kendrick Lamar, and they'd create a record because. 
Kendrick loves sports. KD loves making music. So it's like, and we'd create content. But they all want to be entrepreneurs. They all want yeah, to be, exactly. so, so the, the, the rappers want to be. That. <laughs> it, I, you know, I've run entertainment. I've done all the entertainment um, in terms of like DJing and helping book talent and stuff for the Vikings here in Minnesota for, uh, for the last four seasons in the NFL. And, and we've worked across several teams, multiple leagues, NFL, NBA, MLB. Um, and those things have worked out really well. We, we noticed, I've been paying attention to it. I was really early on in the sneaker scene. That's that's my big vice is, is shoes and was able to, you know, be I think one of the first investors in StockX and really get deep into that scene because I've been collecting shoes since before it was cool, since I was a teenager. When I was selling PlayStations, I was also selling shoes and that's how I met a lot of artists. But um, I remember watching that industry take off and I was able to participate in that. I produced a, um, a documentary that's on Netflix called Sneakerheads, um, invested in StockX and hosted a ton of sneaker shows and conventions and probably some of my most viewed videos on YouTube are uh, sneaker videos. Um, but I saw this industry with like sports card. It'd been happening the past few years. I collected cards and had a card, like I was selling cards as a, a young kid. It was actually my first business, but um, the business kind of had died out and, and really gained momentum the last few years. Saw it coming back and the pandemic really hit. And I was actually able to, to double down and focus on it, being at home, not being on multiple planes every week and just really saw there being this huge opportunity. And I hadn't seen an industry with this much velocity since, you know, it actually has more than what the sneaker scene had. And I think a lot of those kids from the sneaker scenes are starting to jump over into cards. So when you still look at the card landscape, both on the content side and the retail side, it was very old school and very what you expected. So um, a couple of people had, you know, approached us about doing things. I was actually looking at flipping. We have a front retail space at Dash that was just sitting empty. It's a pop-up space, but since the pandemic, and I was like, hey, let me put up some of my memorabilia and cards and, and got connected with a guy, Dan, who was actually looking at opening a shop down the street at the W. It's like, hey, why don't you come down and check out our space? It's actually cooler. He did it, flipped. We decided to, to open a store together there. He brought in uh, both our mutual friend, Steve Aoki, who's, who's gotten into the scene well. Uh, and we launched you know, a modern day card shop that's very, that looks really cool and is what I think a lot of people are going to see and copy. And there's just a lot going on in that space. We're going to launch, you know, you'll be seeing, a, you might be seeing a sports car channel on Dash soon. Um, you might be seeing like podcasts and things coming out of our universe. So that scene has just exploded and um, it's native to what I do and just a, a fun passion. So again, it's something that we're working on. Yeah. It works in, well, it might seem off 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 brand from what we're doing with dash it actually fits right in that system and we want to build you know we're building what we think is going to become the leading you know sports card audio network and we think that that's going to be a big big thing over the next couple of years well then as soon as you start transitioning into different formatted of live with with real-time um transactions and and e-commerce thing into it as well the whole thing starts to test to tweak around it's funny because it's you know right at the start you talked about you're a, a, a an artist obviously with with your djing but then you understood the business world it's like you've now got a framework which you are just putting into play to all these different passions because essentially it is kind of a similar thing you're you're it feels like you know you're evolving experience from analog to digital and in, in, in new ways which is interesting because you can't do that i call it the squeeze in new zealand's a squeeze where um the threes and fours are becoming the ones and twos. Now, what I mean by that is that the young buck, shut your face, go get me a coffee, young buck intern from 10, 15 years ago is now 35, 40. And it's like, all right, now now it's my turn to flex, my time to shine. Now now I'm the marketing manager. Now I'm the GM. Now I'm the CEO. And then all that weight of shit, and it, because there's your, how do I say it? It's like you, you're old enough that you've done enough shit to have enough credibility to be able to be in the room and trusted, but you're still young enough that you know what's up. And that squeeze is very tight because in New Zealand, you know, I'm probably at the bottom. I'm only 35 now, but I'm probably at the bottom in the squeeze. Um, just quickly on the before we go, I wanted to ask you on the, the shoe thing because obviously I know you're a, a bit of a shoe head. 
if Kanye didn't sign to Adidas, would brand Kanye be as powerful as it was? Because it feels that he, from a, just, I'm, I'm, in, I'm really intrigued in your take because I'm questioning without those popping on that brand, when he even said, you know, Yeezy Yeezy jumped over Jumpman, I was like, you got some balls to say that shit. But when you look at the finances of what that platform of that product, what that brand actually amplified him to be able to do, has given him a different level of status. If 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 Yeezy didn't have, Kanye didn't have Adidas, would it have popped the same? No, because Kanye, what he built with Nike was incredible and had shoe where I remember there's kids like waiting, like it was, it wasn't just like overnight. It was, it was for weeks and weeks for the Yeezy with Nike. The challenge with Nike is up until recently, they hadn't, they'd never, they didn't, their, their philosophy was that sport drives us and we're not going to pay artists like real money. So Kanye is like, look, I want to do stuff. And, and Nike's favorite brand, Nike's my favorite brand, right? It was Kanye's favorite brand. They didn't offer him the, the opportunity and they moved slow and they let Adidas come in and Adidas hit the luck of timing. They actually had a great product with the Ultra Boost that had just launched. Kanye was able to come in and jump and, and create a silhouette and they opened the keys to the kingdom for him. And he's, he has not made his most notable music in the time that he's been signed with Adidas yet. He's made, you know, he's become a billionaire and made way more money and become a bigger cultural icon over that. And it's absolutely because of that. He, he he's the mm. first guy and he set up the deal for like, Tra uh, for like um, Travis to do what he's doing over at Nike, even like Virgil, right? Like Virgil came from the Kanye camp, right? Like Kanye was wearing yeah, yeah, yeah. Pyrex vision stuff before Off-White even existed and people didn't know that. So like he set the stone for that and it could be argued that Off-White helped save, you know, Nike's cool and credibility on the other side of that. But yes, absolutely. I mean, he made Adidas hot. Like for me, I was not wearing Adidas before Ultra Boost really and before Yeezy. Mm. Stan Smith, the Run DMC, like all those things were great. It just was not my era. I was strictly Nike, Jordan, maybe yep. Sony Bach, Iverson, right? And, um, but Yeezy made Adidas cool and it made for him, they gave him the freedom to actually make money and turn it into a business. And I'm sure Nike's kicking themselves for not letting them do that and letting somebody else come in and, and, and take advantage of the market like that. But I mean, just look at it. Like his music has not been as relevant as it, as it was, but the shoes and what mm. he's done for the culture and those drops have made him bigger than, than ever. So without, without question, I think, you know, and it just goes to show the power mm. in him. And well, mu and that's a great example. I've always said music is the best marketing tool in the world, but, and, and he's been able to monetize that. And while he's made, a decent amount of money from music, right? Like we'd all be happy with it. It's probably not as much as you think. And as we've seen him tweet out with his contracts, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. He's making more money off these stupid shoes than he will for College Dropout, which is insane. The College Dropout is one of the best albums ever and something that he'll be known more for than he ever yep. will a Yeezy 350 or a slide, but he's making more on each release of this. And it's because he leveraged music in that platform to, to get the situation and, and do it. So it, it's great. And it just goes to show you the power of music, although the money not, might not be where you always traditionally would expect or think to see it. Well, I, I think what, what happens too, it's the same thing if there's, if you see the um, tension in the artist slowly building over the decade, they see an artist that's transitioned using music as the platform to actually start their own platforms and product, which they then own with equity, with bigger stuff. They're starting to see the scale outside of music with where, you know, I mean, Travis Scott's even deal with McDonald's. It's like, who would have seen that shit? Yeah. But it's funny where I think you're actually right. Maybe music's just the marketing arm for the person to go to platform outside of the industry. Yeah, totally. Mm. You, you nailed it, dude. Um, this has been a rad chat, man. I, 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 I knew this would be, we'd be such a good intersection of you know, creativity and commerce and content and all the rest of it. And I, I love seeing where the, 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 the roadmap's hidden in the, the evolution of experience. Um, yeah, appreciate your time, dude. This has been really cool. And, um, 
I'm yeah. I'm stoked. I just love like seeing people win, and it's cool that you're on a mission. And, you know, stay st- st- on the good side. It's 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 rolling. Now in ten years' time, we'll have another chat. Well, we'll, we'll you be feel- doing a lot more stuff before then, right? I, I've we'll got a funky. I've got a funky feeling. <laughs> I know, um, but the uh, ten years' time. At the moment, you feel that you will be historically correct. In ten years' time, when I, when I ask the same question, do you feel that you'll be validated to the market against David versus Goliath of what you're trying to go after? I mean, we obviously think so, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be doing this. But I think you know, so many things are going to change, and one of the great things about us is that we're able to evolve and adjust. Mm. Whereas a lot of companies, especially in radio and audio, have been hit hard. I mean, terrestrial radio is so dependent on local advertisers and small businesses. And those went away. Audiences went away when people weren't driving. And they had these huge operational costs, right? When you're spending $400 million buying Spectrum, you have to, to figure out how to monetize that. They are tough. For us, it was tough like everybody else, but we were able to, to adjust and quickly launch. Like when our South, I remember we were doing a big showcase at South by Southwest, you know, four nights of shows. When that got canceled, we instantly were like, all right, well, we're just going to do this digitally. And we launched a Twitch page and just did it. There was no bureaucracy. It was like, let's do it. And we had a board meeting actually that day and our board walked in and was like, what's going on here? We're like, oh, we like, you know, launched Twitch and we're doing this and blah, blah, blah. And we're able to just adjust and react quickly. And I think our guys really have a great grip on, on what the market is and what will actually work. What's not just good ideas and good on papers, but what consumers really want. Speed wins, my friend. Speed wins. Um, I know you're a busy man. I really appreciate the time. I did not um, expect us to go this long, but it's been a bloody great chat, mate. I tell you that much. So um, even though I'm a San Fran and you, you're in the mix, um, there's plenty of people all around who I'm sure will get lots of value from the stuff here. So I truly appreciate your time, my friend. And um, hopefully, when it gets safe to fly, I might we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll catch up for a bit and we can talk all things cards and coffees, content, creativity, and then Dash Fest coming 2022. I'm really excited. thank you so much for everything thanks for the support and thanks for just pushing through and always sending out the great inspirational emails and stuff we love it bro awesome brother hey love you work man i'll talk to you soon all right homie take it easy cheers bro peace Peace. what a good bastard ladies and gentlemen scott keeney uh dj ski Uh, for those who don't know uh probably one of the most influential dj music uh, heads in the hip-hop world transitioned to business and is on fire um over 10 million uh, users to dash uh, dash radio free awesome cool and a really good chat indeed i hope you enjoyed the day everyone uh cheers so much for tuning in a little bit earlier for new zealand time uh but his schedule said this and when you can get uh, international weapons like dj ski you shall do what he says have a good day team yeah